Welcome to episode 9 of Aminal's World. Uh, this week I had my lovely friend Rahul uh, join me. I met him a few months ago. Uh, he's a pharmacist who's also working on the front line and he's helping everybody out in the community because a lot of people need their medications and a lot of people who are in the vulnerable group have had to self-isolate. So he's dealing with this high pressure of trying to deliver everybody their medications and make sure they have the supplies they need because people are also worried that they might run out. So he's under an immense amount of pressure right now, working in the community with his parents, who've also stepped in to help during this pandemic. And the exhaustion that we usually feel is, is very different right now. Uh, Rahul says that he's he's not physically tired like he usually is, but more of an emotional tiredness has kicked in. Um, and it kind of feels like we're running on fumes now and it's quite scary to say that because we do have a, a long few months ahead of us with this pandemic um, but apart from his work as a pharmacist Rahul set out to start a project uh, he had in his mind for 10 years uh, when he was starting off at university uh, and it's blossomed into the Upnir project he's always had this in the back of his mind to celebrate the success of creators in our community and his idea of success comes from a place which is so selfless um, and it's all about his hard work. Nothing is ever about the numbers or the views or the social media fame. And I can really see that when I work with Rahul. He makes a very good point that nowadays in the creative industry, uh, we have so many content creators who, who are working just for the numbers. And I think we're all, we're all capable of seeing through that. Uh, but Rahul's work comes from... Uh, place of so much dedication and a lot of his work and a lot of his methods of creating this project have inspired me in my own stuff as well so uh this episode was definitely the pick-me-up that i needed this week it was so nice to talk to him and i'm sure it'll help all of you uh at home as well who are either isolating or working from home um i'm sure this will give you the pick up pick, pick up that you need uh, with all the news that we're seeing so without further ado here's rahul Welcome to the show, Rahul, and thanks for joining me today. I know you've had a busy day like most healthcare workers, well, all frontline workers, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, the uh, the day has been very, very busy, but to be honest with you, I can't even remember how long it's been now, probably yeah. a month, a month or so. It all seems to be just one big blur at the moment, but it's been a, a pretty testing time that mm. you can obviously completely understand the situation as well. yeah well I, I I don't actually remember when the chaos started either um it's just you just go into every day knowing that it's going to be chaotic there's going to be a lot of things that you need to do and you're going to be quite quite drained out by the end of the day yeah exactly and I think you kind of said it it's just in a way so you don't know what's happening um, yeah the one thing that I've had to learn very quickly is that you just have to take things like this on a day-to-day basis mm. uh, especially because we don't know what's going to happen right mm-hmm. it's um it's it's like you're in a weird way it's like we're watching a film yeah reading a book and you, you just don't know what's happening on the next page or the next chapter yeah um and that comes with like a cocktail of anxiety or apprehension mm. and in a weird way some excitement as well because mm. we're, we're part of something which we may never ever see again or may have never seen before mm. but at the same time it's it's coming with like I said, a, a lot of anxiety and a lot of concern for for something which is just, uh, it's a pandemic, isn't it? And yeah. There's, there's no other way to really describe it. Yeah, I, f- I feel like we're all trying to come to terms with it 
uh, in some way. But once we do come to terms with it, something new comes up. <laughs> so we see yeah. like there's going to be a peak next week or something else has come up, something else is going to happen or the lockdown is going to be for much longer than we expected. So I think I think coming to terms with it will probably never happen with any of us because it's changing so rapidly. Um, but Rahul, you, you're working in a, a community chemist, is that right? So your That's pharmacist correct. working yeah. in, in the community. And it, it's is it? are you working with your family in the pharmacy right now? So at the moment, so this is my, my dad's community chemist. So he's, uh, we have two practices, uh, one based in West London, so one in Southall and one more in Northwest London in, um, in Uxbridge area. So he's, uh, both my parents are community pharmacists. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad set up the, his practices, one in Southall just under 40 years ago. Wow. Um, so it's actually my first year working there full time. So my background prior to that was working in, in, in hospitals for about six years of my career. Yeah. Um, of which I specialised in uh, cancer and mm-hmm. stem cell transplant. Um, and it was last summer, essentially, um, I transitioned from working full time in the hospitals to now working full time in mm. um, in primary care and within the community pharmacy setup. So, so why did you make that that change? Um, I think it came down to kind of what I had uh, achieved in a way and what I had kind of done. Like I started off my training in hospital and very quickly got into a position where I wanted to know that I wanted to specialize in a particular area. Uh, and that was in cancer, uh, solid tumor and also um, hematological cancer. Um, and I kind of developed the skills that I wanted, um, kind of progressed to kind of like a quite high leadership role and a high clinical role. And, um, I wanted to then challenge myself further. Um, mm. not saying that I kind of completed hospital pharmacy because you can never complete anything within science, but I wanted to therefore, uh, learn more skills, mm. uh, and what you learn in hospital, you may not learn in different aspects of different parts of the healthcare setup. Mm. Um, so I saw it as a challenge. Um, and I did actually both at the same time. So I was working at two different hospital trusts and then working within, um, primary care, um, and then I just decided to take the opportunity to to see what the the primary care world was all about. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to potentially stay here for the rest of my life within there. Uh, <laughs> because what, what, there's a lot of aspects. Yeah. What is it like working with with within a family business? Because um, obviously you come from a South Asian background, and is there any sort of pressure from your family to make sure that you're running it at a, after a certain time or? Is it just really chilled out and you just work with mom and dad? And uh, No, there's no pressure at all. Uh, I think the yeah. pressure just comes within uh, the pressures that we create ourselves um, mm. or, or the pressures that are kind of thrown upon us like a, like a pandemic. Uh, yeah. But when it, when it comes down to like working within the family business, we don't really, of course, there's business aspects to it, but we're first and foremost healthcare professionals, right? And our priority mm. isn't business and finance, it, it's the patient, right? Yeah. Um, and there's no pressure at all. I think my dad and my mum have done the hard work. Like they set up a practice about 40 years ago, or just mm. under 40 years ago. And, you know, credit to them, it's, it's there at the moment and it's flourishing and providing uh, a place for people within the community to, to come and receive expert healthcare advice and information. And it's down to their hard work. Um, so actually the pressure in a way for me has been completely taken off because they've put in that just under 40 yeah. years of work to create that. And mm. actually I'm coming in um, and just using my expertise and learning as well. Like it's a huge learning curve for me um, mm. going from like a completely clinical environment to, to an environment where 
you think about different things. Um, you're looking directly at the community and what's happening with the community health rather than being in such a specific niche area when I was doing stem cell transplant. But mm. coming down to the pressure aspect, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing about pressure, I always think it's kind of um, pressure only exists uh, like if you create it, if you put it on yourself, right? Um, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And Except for when there's a me, pandemic. Yeah. When there's a pandemic, yeah. there's, exactly. <laughs> there's but a lot I like of pressure. To, yeah, I like to think this, this pandemic, well, okay, once, that's it, we're done now, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's obviously things like this but, which fling you into a world that you don't know, then obviously that's, we don't know. Like we said earlier, we have no idea what's going on, right? So that pressure is just mm. going to come from a world of unknown, isn't it? Yeah. But Rahul, before I go into your parents' background, I just want to ask you quickly about how it's been working as a pharmacist during this pandemic because I've been working with pharmacists in the hospital and their workload is has changed quite a bit in the sense that the they're trying to discharge patients to get them home because we want to get all the patients out so they have that workload instead of in terms of making sure that patients have the medications to get home but from your side it would be quite different because a lot of people who come to your chemist are either vulnerable or part of the elderly, maybe cannot even commute to the pharmacy. Um, and I'm sure you're getting a lot of people who may run out of meds and you need to supply that to them. So what kind of pressure are you facing in the community right now? That masses, like it's, uh, that word masses, a matter of like the work that we're doing is, it's it's hard to put into words because if you think about it from a, from a community setup, a lot of the general practitioners, so the doctors, their doors are, are technically closed. Uh, they're not physically seeing patients, so they're seeing patients, whether it be through virtual clinics or over telephone calls, and, and their workload is ridiculously high um, because obviously there's patients who are concerned about COVID itself. There's patients who have just other healthcare problems, um, and the workload for us is just, I wouldn't be able to put a figure on it, but it's completely skyrocketed. Um, and like you said, we've got vulnerable patients. We've got patients coming to see us. And when the doors are closed with the GP surgeries, the dentists are closed, the opticians are closed, they're all coming to us. Um, mm. And what we've seen at the moment is that the panic that came um, a few weeks ago and has consistently been that level of panic is that we're having to supply so much medicine to patients to ensure that those who are vulnerable or need to be shielded and stay at home have adequate resources so that their, their conditions can stay stable. Um, mm -hmm. And working and having our practice in a, in a very predominantly South Asian area, we have a lot of patients who suffer from from heart problems, uh, diabetes, mm. um, and there's a lot of concern. Um, and a lot of these patients have received letters from the government for them to stay at home. Um, yeah. And we've seen so many uh, prescriptions coming in for patients who need to have their medicines. And then we've had, even prior to lockdown, the amount of patients that came in just because they were just frightened. Um, mm. with symptoms of cough, symptoms of fever. Um, and when the doors are closed for um, for them to go to the doctors, understandably, they, they, they come straight to us. Um, mm. So like I said, like the last four weeks have just been a big blur um, because it's just been, um, we've had so many anxious patients and patients coming to, to see us um, and it doesn't look like it's slowing down. Does, does it drain you emotionally as well, Rahul? Because from from a doctor's point of view in the hospital, uh, I've moved from medicine now. I'm working in the oncology department. And obviously now a lot of patients have had their treatments changed and maybe even delayed in some cases. And I, 
I come, I came home this weekend and I felt a different kind of tired. It wasn't a, oh, I've been running around all day. Like I'm physically tired. It was like mentally I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted, you know, and, and you run out of things to say to these people. Like, what can you say to comfort them? Do you, do you face the same thing in the pharmacy? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and it's a different kind. Like it, You kind of hit the nail on the head. It's a completely different type of tiredness. Initially, mm. when we, in the couple of, in maybe the two weeks prior to lockdown, I was probably physically exhausted um, because there is lots of running around. There was lots of running around. We had 20 to 30 people queuing outside our chemist. Um, now it's mentally draining because we're having patients coming in whose relatives may have passed away and we're speaking to them. Uh, patients who have been with us for 10, 20, 30 years who are no longer with us. And like you said, you don't know what to say. Um, mm. Apart from being empathetic and understanding. But then at the same time, you it's often that you can't understand because nobody yeah. really understands anything right now, right? Mm. Um, and we mm. understand things from a science point of view. But when someone's life is taken away or someone's in hospital or they're terrified, like, what can you do or say? Um, yeah. and like you said, like it is emotionally draining. Um, and I've noticed that in the last couple of weeks, like I'm coming home and I'm just, you just sit down for a bit and when things stop and it's just silent and you're just like, like, mm. wow, like this is like, this is one, not slowing down and two, you're just, there's so many thoughts that often cross in your head about things that you need mm. to do, things that you need to say, other things that you need to do. And then you're just absolutely knackered. And the amount of times I've fallen mm. asleep on the sofa since coming home, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm like 20, 28 years old. I shouldn't be falling asleep at this <laughs> age. But yeah. it's, it's, that, it's that draining effect because yeah. there's just so many things that are going on, the patients that you see and then your own thoughts and then your own life. And uh, But it's it's really, it's part of the job. Um, yeah. And it's something that with experience and time, you learn to develop ways that support your own mental health and your own emotional strength. But other times you just you just let it be and you're just like you know what this is a tough time right now and we're going to ride through it right and I'm, I'm guessing yeah. you, you feel that as well obviously you've been in well, you're currently I, I don't know Rahul I, I really haven't had much time to process how I feel um I realize I felt bouts of certain emotions like sadness anger uh stress and there, there was there have been times like yesterday for example I remember I, I came home I came home a bit earlier than I usually do but I, and I thought, you know, I'll just use this time to wind down, but I just felt so emotionally numb that you just don't know how you feel, you just don't know what to do. And, and this is the thing, Rahul, I feel like I'm feeling emotions at extremes. Yeah. I'm not able to process everything. So even today, you probably saw on, on my Instagram, like I've been seeing people sharing all this hate towards China, the Chinese government and Muslims, especially in India. And all of a sudden, like it just you know flicked a trigger and I was getting so angry I'm like what are people actually doing do people really realize what's happening Rahul because you can see I can see we are seeing suffering on a level we've never witnessed before yeah. right not just from the patients but from their families as well and I'm sure members are coming family members are coming to you saying this has happened to to my grandfather or my mother and you know I, I need the medicine for for this other person in my family and and there's so much to process. There's suffering on a, on a level we've never seen before, in our generation at least. And that's what's really happening, Well, That's like the real problem right now. The problem isn't, isn't like supporting China or supporting Muslims. It's like got nothing to do with that whatsoever. We have to strip all that off. Um, so I've, I've been feeling 
extremes of emotions. And, I, and I've, I'm very aware of that. But I am also really aware that I just haven't had the time to process it. Hmm. And there will be a time where I will process it and understand what's what's really happening. But our jobs are so fast paced that we just don't get a chance to do that. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, sometimes it would just hit you at a random moment. And it could be something that's yeah. triggered you or it could just it, just, it just it could just come out of nowhere. And yeah. I completely agree with what you said, because it just hits you at, at a random time. Um, and it's often when it's just silent. That's what I find. And mm. you allow your thoughts. Are you, are, you, yeah. are, you, are your parents still working now as well? Um, so both well, my dad, I would he would consider himself semi-retired. Um, right. So he's winding down um after working yeah. for so many years but obviously he's coming in to support me at the moment because yeah. right now it's all about teamwork um yeah and with his experience it's it's helping me so much um especially transitioning from uh obviously hospital pharmacy into a completely different environment um, mm-hmm. and the one the huge difference obviously between being a community pharmacist and a and a farm and a pharmacist in hospital is that we're not directly surrounded by other healthcare professionals like our doctors and nurses mm. it's very much our teams within its own building but obviously the other healthcare professionals are only a phone call away but it's different so you have to learn to adapt in that way and my mum's working yeah. at the moment so she's working in a local community pharmacy um and yeah. she's you know putting in like an incredible shift at the moment to try and support as well um so at the moment everyone's kind of like Chipping in. Chipping in and just full steam ahead. And one amazing thing that I read recently, I think in the last couple of days was, and similar with the doctors and nurses, the amount of like retired or semi-retired healthcare professionals that are kind of, in a way, joining our healthcare. I'm going to call well, them an I army. Think, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's, it's really touching to see that. But also, Rahul, my biggest worry is that they're also in the vulnerable group. They're, yeah. Most of them are 60 plus. So they're putting their lives at risk to save to save us and to save the the younger population as well. But how, how are your parents dealing with this pandemic? Because I've seen my parents uh, initially being they were quite blasé about it. So they're in Gibraltar right now. Mm. And there's a population of 30,000 there. I think they're just past 100 mark in terms of the number of cases they have. So I think about 50 of them have recovered and 50 are in, in treatment right now. But the issue is that my parents got worried when they opened a nightingale there as well. So they opened another hospital uh, in preparation. So my parents are thinking, well, they've obviously opened it because they're expecting a surge of, of cases. And because we're next to Spain as well, there's a there's a bit of a worry there. I think the Gibraltar government have done really well to contain the virus, but obviously it's, it's the unknown, right? So yeah. I think my parents are, are slowly starting to understand the, the, the impact this virus can have. Um, and they're taking the, the measures much more seriously now. But... How how have your parents felt? Because your mom is still working. She's still going out there. Yeah. She's still exposing herself. Yeah, I think they're both of them have like very much said to me like they've never seen anything like this before. Like my mum was raised in in Iran and was uh, living there during like the civil unrest, and mm. she was saying that like, this is nothing in comparison to that, and that was pretty, wow. and that was pretty bad. Um, yeah, and in a way, we're looking. She was comparing like a, an actual physical war. Now comparing like a like a well, it technically is a war what we're dealing with now, um, and similarly with my dad, like he's um, seen and gone through so many things um, in his life. He's seen obviously lots of political unrest in his life, other issues, um, other healthcare issues that have affected uh, community pharmacy and pharmacy as a whole. For example, like 
the, the other pandemics that we've had and other issues like terrorist attacks when they occurred like mm. in, the, in the 60s and 70s. And he said he has nothing. He has never seen anything like this before. Um, and, really? Yeah. And for them, they're just like, this is this is so new. And in a, in a really weird way, it's quite comforting to hear that because when I've only been in healthcare working, like I qualified in 2014. And for me, mm. like, I've never seen anything like this before. Um, and there was that panic that came and I was like, oh my God, like, what is this? How do we deal with this? And in a really weird way, it's comforting to hear when someone says like, we haven't heard this before. Yeah. But, and he's been working for like, they've been working like 40, 30 years. Um, yeah. And it comes with that comfort because you realize this virus or this disease is, is non-discriminatory. It affects everyone and we are all in mm. this together. Um, mm. But like their health is completely fine. Um, everyone's taking the appropriate precautions that we can with what we have available to us um yeah and that's it like you mentioned earlier it's all about that cohesion that community aspect together mm. um yeah where, where was your dad uh, raised Rahul as he was raised in Nairobi oh so he was in, in Kenya yeah. so when he moved from Kenya did he move during the political unrest as well when everyone sort of moved off from Kenya and came to the UK? So he um, actually left Kenya when he was quite young and he moved to the UK to study. So that's where he did his um, okay. pharmacy degree. Um, so the political unrest I was talking about is that actually the political unrest in the UK. Um, so during that yeah. period. So he's he's seen a lot. Um, and, yeah. Um, like, like I said, like he's, when I spoke to him about this before it really kind of surged and we were kind of talking about this, like, maybe five, six weeks ago when we were seeing cases in in China and as it slowly started to spread in Italy, he, he was like, yeah, I've never seen anything like this. And then when it hit the UK, it was just further. He was just like, this is this is extremely worrying. And I think it mm. hit home even more when we were starting to see, like I said, how non-discriminatory this is um, and how it can mm. affect everybody and anyone, um, uh, regardless of your age, regardless of your genetics, if, if you've got comorbidities yeah. or if you're otherwise young, fit and healthy, it kind of is it, ruthless. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we're seeing it right at the front as well. Yeah. We're seeing our own patients, our own yeah. community suffer from, from this. And it's, it's, it's going to be a long few weeks now, Rahul. And I, I just... I just hope you pace yourself mm. and you take it easy. I'm I'm trying to do that as well. I know it's easier said than done, but um let's let's move let's move from the pandemic and let's try to talk about nicer things now. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and let's do yeah, because because apart from apart from what you do in the pharmacy, uh and apart from the amazing work you're doing right now on the front line during this pandemic, you you also you also do a lot of other really incredible things, Raul. Um Thank you. I I remember when I first found your your page, which was Up in a Project. Yeah a few months ago and I, I started you know we started talking and we became good friends after that yeah. and um we started to learn a lot from each other and have some interesting conversations about what it means to be a South Asian in in this generation and uh so for those for those of you who are listening right now Rahul has a, a page on Instagram and he's working on this up in a project where he's in, interviewed a lot of uh change makers and activists and he talks to them about their views on, on society and our community and Rahul interviewed me and I have to say I mean he really dug deep with me <laughs> <laughs> he he really caught me and he asked me a lot of questions which I still think about to this day Rahul because wow. you know the questions you asked me made, made me really think about my own identity but before we go into that Rahul how what inspired you to start this this specific project um so this project is I would say 
10 years overdue. Um, 10 years? Yeah, 10 years wow. overdue. And, and I'll, I'll, I won't go on a massive monologue about it. But basically, so 10 years ago, I was at university um, studying, obviously, pharmacy. Um, and I don't know what triggered it, but I always wanted to do some work. Well, I, actually, I was a bit concerned about the lack of representation within like media um, or the lack of seeing our faces and like brown faces, men, women um, on like radio or TV or whatever. And I could only ever remember those faces that I saw were the cast of goodness gracious me. And that was it. Like <laughs> I think everyone kind of in our generation just remember people like Sanjeev Bhaskar and Mira Sayal. That's it. Those are like the claims yeah. to fame, right? And then you had like Rishi Rich and Jay Sean. And I remember I mm. was actually, I had my own radio show at, at Portsmouth University and that was all about South Asian music. And at that moment, I wanted to do a project about exploring the lack of South Asian creators. Um, mm -hmm. And this was 10 years ago, so what, 2009, 2010. I didn't do anything about it. I had an idea and I think fear might have stopped me. Um, and I just mm -hmm. didn't do anything. And then 10 years later, so last summer, I think I finished a shift at Chelsea Westminster Hospital walked into the um, the news agent next to, I actually built into the hospital and I saw GQ magazine. And I don't normally buy magazines or mm. anything, but I saw on the front cover of GQ was Riz Ahmed. And I was like, Riz mm. Ahmed? I was like, this is the guy from Four Lions. I've been following his music. I've been following so much of his stuff for the last 10, 15 years. And the guy's on the front cover of GQ. And I was like, and yeah. I think at that moment, I had a flashback to 10, like being at university thinking, would we have ever seen someone like Riz Ahmed? And by that, I mean a brown face on the front cover of arguably one of the biggest like men's fashion magazines in the world. And at that moment, mm. I was just like, boom, I'm going to do a project and I'm actually going to do this now. And I'm not going to explore the, a negative notion of why is there a lack of representation or why aren't South Asians being represented? I'm going to flip it and say, you know what? Diversity is increasing. We're maybe not at the level where we want it to be. But why don't we celebrate those who have achieved or who are achieving in a way that it can inspire other people to realise mm. that it is possible to do something? And mm. that all came from just seeing Riz Ahmed's face in front of GQ, basically. Wow. And that's what created yeah. the Update Project. But, so, Raul, you got, you've got some really interesting people on your project. And for those of you listening, if you just pop into his Instagram, you can find a few episodes that Rahul has released. And you had Mim Sheikh, you had Planet Parley, yeah. you had, uh, so Parley Patel, you had Reed, um, Rita uh, You had a lot of Rita Loy, yeah. Um, sorry, there was someone who just who just followed me today. Her name was Rita Aurora, and I just got the, the names. <laughs> of them, but yeah, Rita Loy as well. Um, and... These are these are people who are very busy. They have very busy schedules. And as as someone who's in the same sort of industry in terms of the creative industry, I I have this. I, I probably face what you face as well, which is like, well, these guys are doing so well in their career. These guys are probably so busy. Why would they want to be part of my project if I contact them? So, how did you get these big names to be part of what what you did, what you're doing right now? So I always look at things from a notion of they're gonna say yes. Or they are going. They are mm. going to reply to the email or the DM, and that's not from a place of like being like big-headed or anything. It's the reason I was so confident that people would respond back to me from this project is because the project's all about celebration, 
we're celebrating people who are doing incredible things. And at the same time, each individual is opened the door to talk about topics which we they are passionate about and they want to talk about. Um, but it affects the whole community. And and when I wanted to do the project, I said, like, in a way, in my mind, I was like, I want to serve it to the best possible way um, and have a mixture of mm. people who are relatively known in their respective industries or within their respected areas and people who are change makers or people who want to talk about certain things. And I just sent off DMs on Instagram or I just emailed people if I could find their contact details. And fortunately enough, out of, I think, about maybe about 500 people I messaged um a small number responded um yeah so it took you 500 messages to get how many people uh, so, so far we've recorded um I'm gonna get this wrong I think 15 videos um yeah. and it never phased me like I knew like I'm not gonna probably get 500 people and that's fine because I'm a random guy yeah. with a random Instagram account that's DMing somebody who's probably got like so yeah. many followers um like i i messaged people like jay shetty hassan minaj like the biggest names out there and then people who had smaller accounts but respectively the work that they're doing it doesn't matter what their instagram follower is right uh, mm. that doesn't mm-hmm. matter and i thought if one person responds great because we can create something create a conversation and i've always said to myself the mark of success for this project isn't about numbers it isn't about how big this gets um it's about if we can inspire one person, that's a mark of success from this. Um, mm. And going back to kind mm. of like how we created this, it was, I was just like, when you have an idea and I wanted to serve it justice, it was message these people, have a phone call conversation with them and get them in the studio and let's just talk. And in a way, I am basically winging it. Um, and it seems to be doing all right <laughs> so far. Yeah. No, you're doing a really great job, Roland. I think, the most impressive thing for me when we first got in touch was the the way you you carry this project out in such a professional manner. Uh, when we talk about meeting other creatives in the industry and we talk about how we we deal with our own projects, it's it's very difficult to 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 sort of see our own projects as like a second job, right? Because we will come home from work after a long day and then we'll be like, yeah, I'll just write a blog. I'll just write, make a website, whatever. And I'll, I'll just write it and I'll put it out there. But that wasn't the case with you. You were like, I want to create something, but I want to produce it. I want to edit it. And I want to create something that's of very high quality. And that doesn't take one day or two days to do. There's a setup that you need. There's money that you need. There's other people that you need to help you because you can't do this all single-handedly. So how did you go about well, how did you go about the funding, the organization and sort of getting everything in place to, to interview each individual that you, you currently have so yeah. far? So I guess it improves in a way with each round of uh, interviews. Uh, so when we first recorded with Mim Sheikh, um, I basically reached out to like a videographer. I didn't know the individual. Actually, mm. To put it really like paint a picture, on the day that we filmed with Mim, all three of us in the room, so myself, the videographer, and Mim had never met each other before. And we just turned up together. Um, and wow. as we've done more episodes, it's got slightly better. and My organization's got better with it. But the way that I've kind of planned it mm-hmm. was obviously after um, having the conversation with the respected individual um, and kind of creating a date for it. We 
basically explore the theme. So kind of how, like I spoke to you over the phone, we looked at, you know, what is something that you would like to talk about? If you were given an opportunity to open the door or in a way kick the door down and talk about something that you really want to get off your chest mm-hmm. or just explore something, what would it be? And actually this whole project is about that individual. Um, and it's the opportunity for that individual to talk about something that they're really passionate about. And that's kind of how I build it. Um, so each person kind of explores a set theme. Um, and then what we do on the project is basically build the the episode with the individual. Um, and that's kind of how we do it. So with each individual, we kind of understand what theme they want to explore or what multiple themes they want to explore. And we kind of bring it there on the day. And what I've tried to mm. do with it, mm. obviously, initially, we were kind of like a small team. Um we're now kind of growing with the people that are involved. Um, so obviously uh, I'm now working uh, very closely with my cousin, uh, Aurora Productions. Um, so mm-hmm. he's one of the, well, he mm-hmm. is like the key editor now behind my project. Um, and I've worked with a range of different videographers. Uh, and one thing that I've always wanted to do with this project is get so many people on board because I think as a creative, um, I quite like the idea of just bringing different people on board because everyone has their own ideas um, and although this project is yeah. something that I'm producing and I'm creating, I always see this as a community project. And what you'll notice is that each episode, mm. they are kind of vastly changing in their aesthetic, in the way that we're filming, in the style of the questions that we're doing, because each episode and each day, like anything in life, you're learning more and more. Um, so we're, if I compare mm. the very mm. first episode with Mim and how what we've created now, things are just changing and it's all come from feedback and ideas from people and working with different people um when we when we look at funding that's uh that's probably where i struggle the most well everything is everything is self-funded right now isn't it i I assume it's the same with me everything is self-funded and obviously i'm in a very i'm in a fortunate position where i was able to start to fund the project um with just initial sum savings um and that's something which now at the moment i'm as the project is starting to develop i'm looking to basically bring people on board um whether it be like private people or people private companies that are, are funding it or looking to kind of mm-hmm. seek through like crowdfunding to get people if they're interested in the project to kind of fund it um and yeah. i've always at the moment i'm actually yeah. exploring that um quite closely now um and i would love the project to be funded or have elements of it funded because I could continue to fund it myself, um, but at the same time, to allow something to grow, we need to create this into, I guess, to look at a business model. And I've started to learn that loads, fortunately, yeah. because I've interviewed two incredible people from the other box, so uh, Leia and Roshni, um, who, they, yeah, so oh, they yes, really yeah, yeah, told yeah. me like their journey, um, how they created the other box from or something quite small and had to learn business acumen. So one of the episodes with Roshni, she really spoke about yeah. like one key advice was all about business acumen. And when she said that to me, I was like, wow, mm. like I need to start thinking of this as a business because in the element yeah. of how to develop something and get people on board so that we can grow this project. So from a funding point of view, absolutely everything right now is uh, funded from pocket, um, mm-hmm. which means not many holidays. Uh but it's okay. Yeah. Can't travel anywhere now. Anyway. <laughs> well, it's okay. We're, in, we're all in lockdown. <laughs> so, so, so right. I mean, but yeah, I'm looking to get the project um, yeah. funded as much as I can, and at the same, looking to work with people who are funding it, who have synergy with the project. So for me, it's not about just yeah. getting people to give us money because it has to be. I want it to be from people 
um, and work with people who share the same goals and visions um, and are from an environment where we all share the same ideas because otherwise the project loses what the most important thing is and that's and that's community yeah hmm. but Rahul you you've you've reached that point of turning your passion well not turning your passion but sort of considering your passion into uh, an avenue where you could you know sort of build something from it and you're a pharmacist already and you know this is your side project but you obviously want it to grow into something where you can be like well this is something I could potentially do for the rest of my life as long as I'm comfortable and it's not affecting me in 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 a financial way uh you got you got to this point a lot quicker than I have because when I started the podcast I was I was still in medical school um and I did that for four years but I think there was some part of my brain where it just kept telling me it's just a hobby and I never saw it in that way and I think it's when you when you're a student and you're just doing all these projects and you're helping out charities you're helping out the community time and resources have a completely different notion and definition to when you start earning your own bread and butter then you're like well this one pound could go here or it could go there and you start thinking of it in a different way so so wrong what how how do you ground yourself in these moments where you you because obviously you don't want to think of it too much from a business point no. of view right you still want it to be your passion mm. um and you still want it to have all the elements that you had 10 years ago you know that that same drive and fire so how do you find that balance oh that's a good question i think for me i look at this as ooh, i still see it as a hobby as a passion it's a passion project and it, it came from yeah. an idea 10 years ago um and I'll always keep it as that and the one thing I've always said to myself about the project whenever I speak to people about the project it's it's just like I said it's always going back can we inspire one person right and that's what keeps me grounded Mm. um it's not about the figures it's not about the likes on Instagram it's not about how many dms we get it's that stuff's great that stuff's nice right but the work that we're doing and what allows us to stay grounded is is that we know that with each video or with each conversation we have, we are potentially creating a space for people to talk. Um, and I think one yeah. thing is that this project isn't like, this isn't like a brand new thing, which is like trailblazing in a way. It's, this is completely inspired by so many other pieces of work. Um, and mm. one of the key inspirations behind this, or two key inspirations behind this was uh, The Good Immigrant by Nika Schuttler, um and the work uh, by Raj Kaira, um, who's the founder of the Pink Ludley Project, um, who did an amazing mm-hmm. piece of work um, showcasing 25 uh, incredible South Asian women. Um, and this, uh, looking at other people's work who have had an idea and strived for something to celebrate people, that's what allows me to kind of consistently yeah. stay motivated because people out there in so many different communities have done projects and it's all started from, from a small, small idea. And that's what allows me to stay grounded is to take things with each day, with each video and not to think of it that it has to be this way. It has to reach a certain number. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, like if we can improve each one and, and slowly grow, then then that's great. And looking back now, I think it's been about possibly a year or just under a year since we first filmed Mim's video um, and where we've grown from that. That's when I look back to see where the growth is. That's what allows us to say, allows me to stay grounded and, yeah. still motivated because it's progression right and and that's that's all it is to me. yeah but it's it's difficult to to so the, to, to have that mindset role is quite difficult because of course we all want to ha- be humble 
and ground it in that way and say, actually, it's about the impact we have on people and it's about what we what we're producing. That's all that matters. But we live in a generation where numbers mean so much, right? How many listens are you getting? How many followers do you have? And that's what people are chasing. Uh, it, it's really difficult to 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 sort of ignore that sometimes. And I I've been a, I've been a victim of it myself, Rahul. I think just even yesterday I was telling Nishant I was like, oh. I've got 20 new followers and it sounds like stop mm-hmm. looking at the numbers. I was like, yeah, you're right, actually. That's not important. But it does give you that mm-hmm. buzz. It's a bit like uh, it's like a drug that, that us creatives sometimes get. Like, oh, we're getting followers, we're getting numbers, we're getting this. Yeah. But then it sort of distracts us from what we're what we start why we started this. Um, so it's it's very difficult to, to, to find that balance role. Yeah. And do you do you have moments like that where you're just like, oh, I need I need the numbers, I need the followers? Or um, have you? Are you? Are you just really good at staying <laughs> completely? <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. Like what you're referring to is, is dopamine, isn't it? It is a drug. It's yeah. we live in a dopamine. Yeah. I, I can't remember who spoke about it, but I, I've seen a video on YouTube where a guy talks about the generation that we're in now. Pretty much everyone has a smartphone, and everyone pretty much either has Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, all, all three of them and we live in a dopamine generation when our phone buzzes and we get a like we mm-hmm. upload a selfie or we upload something like when we get likes we want to hit 100 because it's three figures then we want to hit a thousand and we live yeah. in that we live mm-hmm. in that world because it makes us feel good and don't get me wrong like no one is um like completely shut off to that because mm-hmm. numbers in a way like i said like it's it allows progression because if 100 people like it that means 100 people have seen it minimum and they like what you do. But I think the important thing with it yeah. is that the numbers for me don't mean anything. Like it would be yeah, amazing if we got a million, mm-hmm. a million views or something. That's great because people can watch it. But for me, that's not a mark of success with it. Um, because mm. it's kind of hard to put into words. Like I would say if I was solely doing this for like numbers and fame, then people will see that the, People just see through that kind of stuff. People yeah. see through and that, yeah, you're right. It's not about that yeah. because if, if yeah. this project was all about fame and, like, dopamine hits and everything, then we would have done the project in a completely different mm-hmm. way. It would have – and one thing that I've always said yeah. to myself this project is, in a way, we could reach out to any of the names that I have um, and we could get someone who's, like, super well-known. But if the project doesn't allow that individual to talk about something which opens the door, then it's just – it's just serving mm. kind of like an ego boost for everyone. And, and and people can yeah, see through that yeah. and yeah don't get me wrong like when I get a few likes like I do fashion photography as well so obviously on a mm. different world like those numbers you need that as well and being published in magazines is great yeah. but it's I see it as like a, a mini personal victory it's like one percent thing for me it's like if I get a few hundred likes it's great because people are respecting the work but I just kind of use it as, yeah. as fuel for the fire I don't live and swear by the numbers yeah. because if you do, you'll just end up draining yourself and you'll just be staring at your phone about 24 hours a day. Yeah, it's very it's very short-lived yeah. to, to, to do it that way. Uh, but Raul, you seem to have surrounded yourself by some really good friends and really good people in the creative industry because you've met so many people through the Upland yeah. Project and I'm sure you stay in touch with them. I mean, I get inspired by speaking to you and even Rook as well, who's, who's working really hard. Uh, and I think it's really important that we all understand that it's a lot of motivation and energy and passion all this all of it doesn't come from us as an individual a lot of it comes from who you spend time with and who you spend your your, your energy with um so 
I, I just want to tell our listeners out there that Rahul works very hard. <laughs> I've seen him work with the Upner Project. He does he does a really great job. And I think, you know, what Rahul is saying is so important that we we don't run for that dopamine when we want to start a project. And Rahul, it could be 10 years until Upner Project makes something. Yeah. You just never know. It could be 10 days. and But that's not what we're looking at. It could. The point is that we're sharing stories. I mean, I'm doing something quite similar to you. I mean, in a sense, I want to share stories and inspire people and I understand where you're coming from. Uh, but as I said, when I was a student, because I, I hadn't met so many people in the creative industry like yourself and Ruben, I was just in a little bubble. Like, I just need numbers, right? Numbers was everything at that time. Um, so everything's changed in, in that aspect for me as well. But Ral, where do you, what's, what's your end goal with Upner Project? You probably don't have an end goal. I'm sure you're just going by what comes to you, but what's the vision behind Upner Project? What do you want to achieve? So the initial vision when I first kind of strategized it was that I actually wanted to create a book. Um, and that was the initial goal. It was never going to be videos. And that was purely yeah, oh, it was okay. purely inspired by The Good Immigrant. Um, because yeah. I like to think I like to read. And actually right in front of me, I've got one, two, one, like two, <laughs> three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I've got eight books in front of me. And it was only until like this year or the back end of last year, I started to become more of an avid reader. But prior to that, I think the few books that I had read was, I think I half read Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Um, and <laughs> like my reading history is bad. Like, I don't know if you, don't know if you ever remember the yeah. book Pong Griffey. It was like a kid's no, book about no. a witch. Like my reading and like my reading acumen is dreadful, but I picked up The Good yeah. Immigrant. I can't remember when it was, um, maybe last year at some point, and I couldn't put it down. Um, and I've never read a book so many times. And I think I read the book in one day and then I read it again and again and again. And I've read it so many times. Really? Yeah. And I've never, I've never been mm. able to connect to a book before at all. And when I read that, the mm. reason that I could connect to it because there were names in there or stories in there that I could relate to. And when I've put the book down, mm. this was at the same time that I was thinking about doing this project. And I was like, I want to do a book um, that looks at, and Nikesh did a great job with exploring the identity of like good immigrant. And I wanted to do a book that was inspired by that, but looking at it from a celebration point of view. And that's when I read Raj's yeah. book, or the book that Raj created about the incredible superwomen in the South Asian community. And that's what allowed the project to develop. So um, after the project never had a name until quite recently, it was just called, it was called mm -hmm. Identity. Um and that was, okay. yeah, that was the email I was sending people. The subject was called Identity Project. And I actually only developed a call uh -huh. up now because when I was explaining to people over the phone, I didn't, I, I was saying like, oh, brown people. But I was like, well, brown people doesn't sound a bit colloquial. So I was like, up now, because yeah. up now to me is just like one of our own. Yeah. And then the project became up now. So the project was always initially mm -hmm. going to be a book. And then I realized that I really like watching like short videos, like, um, my cousin Roop, who uh, runs Aurora Production, creates short videos. And I was like, why don't we just have a bit of fun with it and just film some stuff? And the end goal yeah. for the Upner Project is at yeah. the moment still, we want to create a book because we want people's stories um, to be handed down generations. And I haven't, I have a vision in my mind where we have a book in our hand and someone can pass that book to somebody and that book can then be passed to somebody else. And the identity of sharing mm -hmm. something physical like that for me means a lot um because it reminds you of like sharing like old photos and we don't do that anymore because everything's digital mm. 
And mm. so I guess the yeah. end project, end goal for Up and it has just kind of morphed into a book or now it is we definitely want to create a book we want to create as many videos as possible um probably in this year around about 25 um stories and each story is going to be accompanied by a video and that will be the first phase um and then i've recently thought mm-hmm. this out in a lot of depth so it's since a lot of um we've done a few videos that uh kind of look down the route of health so we did a really like incredible mm-hmm. piece on the day that you were there um with ravine court yeah where we explored cancer and fertility yeah and a lot of people came to her and uh to me after and probably as well to you as well after you did some work with ravine as well and we want to explore um other themes so we're going to do like a health series which looks down the route of like physical health a series that encompasses mental health um and then a different series yeah. which kind of like celebrates people um and lots of different things so i think that the project will continue to grow um and i think eventually what mm-hmm. we're going to do is just try and commit, create a big community and uh, like a platform with this and work closely with other platforms at the moment um because it's all about synergy right um so like you said like you're doing something yeah. as well there's uh like two incredible women that i've met um from the south asian sister speak um who are doing incredible mm-hmm. work as well and what i really want this is the alpha project to be um continually providing stories and at the same time synergistically working with other people as well so that we can share stories mm-hmm. um it's all about it's all about empowering yeah, each other as we go yeah. along right i think i think that's a message that that is so powerful in itself uh something that we don't see in in a lot of industries in a lot of countries but there's something about british asians and south asians where we we really feel yeah. for each other and I, i can see that i can really see that role um i don't see that so much for example in india I've spoken to lots of people there it's a very different scene over there but over here everyone seems to be very understanding and and, and caring and say okay how can i help you rather than oh can you help me it's a mm. it's a very different uh, um ethic over here and i re- that's why i'm so glad I'm I'm connecting with so many people after I've moved here to the UK. But Raleigh, if there is someone out there listening right now who's maybe 18 and maybe is a pharmacist or someone who has a project that they want to develop, what's what's one piece of advice you'd give to them? Do it. And you're going to fail probably because the one thing for me that I was always scared of when I was 18 was failing something. But failure is probably your best friend. and you might be listening to this and thinking what the hell is he talking about like why is, why do you want to fail but like the more you fail and failing for me means that you put yourself out there and you've taken you've taken a chance right and you learn so much more yeah. from your failures than you do with your victories in my opinion and failure mm-hmm. i've had lots of failures and one of my favorite quotes uh, is a quote um uh by michael jordan where he talks about the amount of like shots he's taken and the amount that he's missed but he still yeah. has taken those shots so my advice to anyone is like if yeah. you have an idea about something you want to do it but you're just not sure like your foot's kind of like half in the idea but you're a little bit worried it's like when you're dipping your mm-hmm. toe in the water to go swimming right like just jump yeah. in because yeah you you could drown right but you could also float and in a weird way it's all about trying something that puts you out of your comfort zone and you're not alone in this like one thing that i've realized probably now with like experience is that there's so many people out there that are doing incredible things there's like you said there's so much synergy and there's so much cohesion is that 
if you are struggling just ask people as well but if you have an idea yeah. for me it's always that idea didn't just come into your head like randomly it's because you've either subconsciously thought about it or it's something you really want to do and just go for it because you don't know what can mm. happen right yeah hmm I think it's important to strip off all your emotions your fear your anxiety your ego everything and just let yourself be free and I think that's the mm. a beauty in it in itself of being human uh and trying out all of these new things well Rahul, I'm going to have to stop us there only because I know we could go on for hours and <laughs> yeah. have a really great chat, but um, just for the, the sake of podcasting, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it short for now. But I'm sure I'm sure I'll have you back uh, back on the show at some point again, maybe in the next pandemic. <laughs> no, please, no more. <laughs> but hopefully no more. none. <laughs> no <more. laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining me today, Rahul. Amazing. Thank you so much for the time and yeah. looking forward to releasing your video relatively soon as well. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we'll be yeah. That was a That was a couple of months ago. Uh, I probably sounded quite different then. I feel like I've, I've grown so much within the last month in itself yeah. just through the podcast. I feel like a different person already. So it'd be interesting to yeah. see what I was thinking two months ago. But anyway, I'll leave that to you. <laughs> That's your project. <laughs> I'll let you do, do the magic there. Thank you, Rahul. Thank you. Bye. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining me again for another episode of Meanwhile's World. I've actually lost count with the number of episodes we're on right now, but we're almost hitting the 10th episode, which is which is a milestone in itself, because uh, with Desi Outsiders, I was looking to hit 100, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. We'll start from the beginning again, and hopefully we'll get there at some point. But uh, you can you can see Rahul's work in the link uh, that I've, I've provided in the episode description, don't forget to follow him on Instagram. Uh, it's Upner Project that you look for when you search on Instagram. And you can even look at Rahul's own photography page, which is uh, Rahul Puri Photography as well. Um, if you have any questions or any suggestions for future episodes, please do message me on Instagram as well, at Meals World. I'm also on Twitter uh, and on Facebook with the same handle. Uh, you can also mail me uh, at mealsworldpodcast at gmail.com. So thank you to everybody who's been tuning in. Thank you to all the listeners who've been supporting uh, people like us in the creative industry who are trying to work towards producing good quality content, content that empowers us and creates a sense of community so that we can all work together through this pandemic. Um, and thank you to all the frontline workers out there, whether you're working in a hospital or whether you're working in a supermarket or in a petrol station, even if you are just working towards helping your grandparents. Thank you to everybody. And hopefully we'll come out to this as a much stronger uh, community as well. So thank you all for listening and hope you have a lovely weekend.